This world, our families, our lives are broken and messy. What if Jesus could take our failures, our pride, doubts, rebellion, shame? What if Jesus could accomplish something we never imagined? What if he could take our messes and create something astounding? Something meaningful, life-changing, beautiful. Something the world has never seen before. If I'm here, that means Jamie is away, and I'm sorry about that. I know that uh, he is your pastor, and you miss him when he's gone, and you should. He is on a study break, and I have always teased him about that because I know what I would do on a study break, and uh, the last thing I would do is study. Uh, I would watch television and sleep and uh, go for a short, I, I wouldn't call it a walk, a stroll, but Jamie studies. And the evidence of that is right before us today. While Jamie was on study break last year, he was reading through uh, John chapter uh, 13, and uh, he was looking at Jesus with the disciples, and he said, as he looked at this group of people, what a mess. And then as Jamie studied it, up popped the title for the series that we have. It's a beautiful mess. As Jamie looked, he discovered what became the series topics for us. Put them up on the screen for you. They're the five things we've talked about. Uh, forgiveness, betrayal, glory, love, denial. You, you look at these men gathered for this Last Supper and here are all of those traits laid out in one brief chapter. And Jamie stepped back and he recognized what God does. There is a, a big idea that, that kind of is the umbrella for the whole series. And the series' big idea is this, that God will turn our mess into a beautiful mess. So I wanna really, this is kind of where I'm going today. It's to pull together the four topics Jamie's talked about, and I add to it today, the guy that's really the poster child for a mess, I, I, I bring Peter to it. But here's what I want you to see. I don't want you to stop and look at these guys and say, aren't they a mess? I, I want you to look. Can, can we put that back up? The big idea that God will turn your mess into a beautiful mess. This is hard to imagine when you walk on campus here at SBC, 
But, but we are a mess. I mean, one of the things about coming on campus here is everything is so orderly. Everything is in its proper place. This building is a wonderful building. You look around and you look at people and you go, look at those people. They got it together. I'm going to tell you a little secret. They don't. Everybody here is a mess. Some of it a little more obvious than others. But God will turn, and here's the idea, God will turn your mess into a beautiful mess. That's what he does. God works contrary in terms of values to ours. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He's writing to them, and he points out the obvious. The, the, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This Bible, and, and many of you can give testimony to this. This Bible, if you are one who is perishing, that, that means you're dead in your sins and trespasses. This Bible and this salvation doesn't make much sense. And sometimes we get a little defensive about it. There's no reason to be defensive about it. I mean, here's what we believe, that God created an Adam and an Eve, and when they sinned, they plunged all of us into ruin. And for thousands of years, God went about putting in place a plan of redemption. And then Jesus came, not just a great man, but God in the flesh. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And if we believe in him, we'll be saved. Guys, that's a tough sell. That's kind of science fiction stuff. It's foolish. Unless you are, and, and I highlighted it, unless you're one who are being saved, delivered. We have a whole language in this Christian world. We have this whole language. We use words like save that raises questions. Save from what? Well, we're saved from the consequence of our sin. We're alive physically, but dead spiritually. We need to be rescued, delivered, saved. And the Bible tells us if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, and it was a messed up church. But like any church, it was filled with believers they were messed up, but they were, uh, here you go, a beautiful mess. In, in verse 27 of, of chapter 1, Paul tells the church of Corinth and us that God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the weak things. God's chosen a mess, and he makes it a beautiful mess. But Paul, and, and I want you, we're talking about the apostle Paul the iconic figure of the Christian faith. Here's how he describes himself. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's talking about when he came to these people. He said, when I came to you, chapter 2, verse 1, I didn't come with superiority of speech. I wasn't real articulate. I only had one message, Christ and Christ crucified. He says in verse 3 and 4, when I came, I came, and this is Paul now. He said, I came in weakness and fear and trembling. And my message and my per, uh, uh, speech were, were, were not very persuasive. That's what God uses. God uses things the world looks at and says, I never choose them. And God said, that's okay, because I take people who are a mess and I make it a beautiful mess. In, in verse 5, he tells us why he does this. So that your face doesn't rest in men, but on the power of God. So, so I, I want to make sure we get what we just talked about. Here comes Paul, weak, fearful, trembling, not very articulate, not very persuasive. So when Paul finished, they didn't say, isn't that Paul something? They said, isn't God something? I was doing a men's conference in California, and uh, there's always somebody who's assigned to pick you up at the airport and kind of navigate you around. And this guy picked me up and got me in the car, and he said, are you hungry? And I said, look at me, you know, I'm always eating. I'm ready to eat. And, and we're there, and the longer we were together, the more he seemed, I, I, I don't know, something was wrong. So I said to him, are you okay? And he said, yeah. I said, is there something wrong? And he said, yeah. I said, that's okay, you can tell me. And he said, you aren't what I expected. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, yeah. I mean, I heard about this speaker and how good he was and how great it was. And I didn't expect you. <laughs> what did you expect? Well, I thought you'd be taller and, and a little better quaffed and, and, and a little more just, just kind of an imposing figure. Well, God uses guys like me. So at the end of the day, you don't go, wow, Thomas something. You go, wow, God is something. Okay, that's it. And it's, um, so you're applauding the fact I'm short and fat and can't speak. Okay? But that's what he does. So here you go. We're all in this giant boat. We're a mess. And I want you to see, it's a slide that I've used two, three, four times maybe here. Our hope is in the character of God and the promise of God, the next slide, and the promise of God and the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God. That's your hope. And you can start crossing off words and get there pretty quickly. Our hope is God. 
his character, his power, his promises, his promise that he'll save you, deliver you, rescue you, and he's faithful. And here's the thing that kind of holds it together. He's sovereign. R.C. Sproul uses the phrase, there's not a maverick molecule loose in the universe that can usurp his plan. God is our hope, not us, right? For a second, you don't have to fool each other, just at least be honest with yourself. When you look in the mirror, you see it. You're not all that great. You're a mess. But God says, I'll make you a beautiful mess. The poster boy for that is Peter. If we go to the text in front of us today, John chapter 13, Jesus is dealing with his guys and he's talked about betrayal and forgiveness. And and Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. You can follow me later. And, And Peter said, why can't I follow you? There's some defiance there. And yet in the middle of it, he he speaks boldly. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus, and and the scripture doesn't say it. I said it last night. And after I said it, I never really thought of it. I, I never think of Jesus as smirking. But you can almost imagine him smirking in verse 38 when he says, you'll lay down your life for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Really, you're going to die for me? Now, there was some sincerity in this. If we fast forward, John chapter 18, verse 10, uh, Peter is now with Jesus when they come to arrest him. And the numbers are overwhelming as they come. And yet Peter draws his sword and he strikes, okay, a deathly bow. Peter, the great swordsman, misses everything but catches an ear. (laughs) And I think Peter at this point literally is saying, I'm willing to risk my life. But he didn't fully understand I don't think, nor was he ready, prepared, nor did he have the Holy Spirit at this point. He wasn't prepared for this. If we go back to the story, John 13, Jesus said to him, verse 38, Jesus said to him, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now, in this room, pretty crowded for Memorial Day, I can't believe there's this many people at SBC who didn't have the money to get out of town uh, for Memorial Day. That that collides with my image of the place. But you know the story, but not everybody does. All the gospel writers record it. In, In chapter 18, verse 17, there's a slave girl And she comes up to Peter and she said, you are not also one of this man's disciples. And Peter says, I am not. Then in verse 25, he's warming himself and the same thing. You're not one of his disciples. I am not. 
And then a slave comes up who's a relative of the man that Peter struck. And he said, didn't I see you with the garden? And Peter said, no, you didn't. And immediately the rooster crowed. I would suggest that for most people, if we do word association, this is what they think of with Peter. If I say Peter, they say, <laughs> even in here. And what I want you to see is that's Peter at a low point. But that's not the end of Peter. Peter's a mess. But God's going to make him a beautiful mess. Now, just to intensify this a little bit, add some drama to it, Luke records the same incident, but Luke gives us some information that's additional. Men, I don't know what you're talking about, Peter says. And immediately, while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. But the next verse says this, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. We don't get it, except in Luke's gospel. John, Mark, Matthew, they just tell us about er, 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 but they don't give us the fact that Jesus was close to him. He wasn't removed. He looked. Imagine this moment. Photoshop yourself into this. Jesus makes eye contact. Here's this moment. Talk about guilt and shame. And Jesus looks right at him. And what happens to Peter? Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And he told him, before a rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And look what Peter did in verse 62. He went out and he wept bitterly. You ever been there? Face to face with Jesus. Every time we sin, in essence, we're denying him. This thing could be tragic if we stopped the story right there. But here's great news. God is a God of a second chance. That's what Jonah learned. That's what we learn over and over again. You, you and I, we have relationships that are pretty conditional. For many of us, if somebody betrayed us the way Peter betrayed Jesus, we'd say, that's it. That's the end of the line. We deal in that sort of tentative, conditional, transactional relationship. Uh, last Thursday was my wedding anniversary. It's our fifth anniversary. Yeah, and, and so that was, that was pretty cool. Well, a lot of stuff about love. And uh, I, I, I found a card that was a great card that expressed how I thought it would be probably better if I could do it myself. But I found a card, and it happened to be a card written on anniversary to a man. So I had to cross out man and put woman. <laughs> and, uh, but but yeah, she got the idea. And, and I really love her. 
but, but I know it's conditional. We were having dinner, I don't know, four or five months ago, maybe longer. And I'm trying to promote communication. And so it's quiet. And I said to her, I love you. And she said, why? Wow, I, I wasn't ready for that. I, 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 this isn't a discussion question. I was just making a statement. And she said, why? And I said, all right, don't blow this. Don't go, oh, because you're pretty and all that. And I said, okay. I said, you know what? You're so smart. You, you have a great mind. You went to Washington University in St. Louis, fabulous school. You got two degrees there. You got another degree. You have more degrees than a thermometer. I'm impressed with you. You're really smart. And, 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 and okay, at that point, what's the, what should you say? I would think thank you would be a good thing to say. You know what she said? W would you love me if I was stupid? <laughs> so I, I, I said, well, you're pretty. <laughs> and, and you're in great shape. I mean, she could deadlift this building. And she said, would you love me if I was ugly? And I said, you know what? I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Stop. But here's what she was doing. She was grinding on the fact that humanly, our love is so conditional. I'll love you if, I'll love you when. Peter blew it. We humanly would take him off at the knees at this point. But God doesn't. He's a God of a second chance who turns our mess into a beautiful mess. Uh, that's Peter, and the way I refer to it is that's Peter of the gospel. Then we get to Peter of the book of Acts. A Acts chapter 2, verse 14. What's happened is Pentecost, and Jesus has said, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, the remotest parts of the earth. And, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands, he stands amongst this group of Jews and he said, men of Israel, I, I want to give you a message. Chapter 2, verse 22. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Verse 23. He's this man who was delivered over by the predetermined plan of God. God's foreknowledge. This was not God's plan B. This was God's plan from the beginning for redemption. He's the man. Okay, remember, this is Peter who said, I didn't know him, I didn't know him, I didn't know him. And now, before a far more intimidating group, he's saying, this is the guy you put to death. 
Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead and put an end to the agony of death. It's impossible for Jesus to be held in the power of death. Jesus rose from the dead and puts an end to the agony of death. Not the physical agony, we know that, but the uncertainty of it. We know we're going to die. What happens then? I'm from uh, Davenport, Iowa, and I, I use that all the time. If somebody says, where are you from? Uh, I will almost always even if I'm going to answer Phoenix, I'll say, I was born in Iowa. I don't know why, but I do. I love Iowa. Not enough to live there, uh, but I love it. Every day, every day, I go on two sites. The Quad City Time, that's the local newspaper, and Halligan McCabe Funeral Home. That's the funeral home of choice with my tribe in Davenport. And, and I was on there this week, Halligan McCabe, and there was a lady who passed away. Uh, she was 92, and, and, I, and I'd, I'd read the obituary, and there was a sentence in there that caught my attention. Her name was Mary. Mary passed away, and I quote, Mary passed away unexpectedly Thursday, May 25th, 2017, at Senior Star Assisted Living in Davenport. She's 92. <laughs> this is unexpected. <laughs> My dad died July 2nd, 2006. Saturday night, like every Saturday night, he watches Lawrence Welk, and then he goes upstairs, and he's going to set his stuff out, plays golf for things Sunday morning. He watches Lawrence Welk. He goes upstairs. He falls over dead. The doctor said he was probably dead before he hit the ground. Now, I always pause here. I'm not suggesting a cause and effect between watching Lawrence Welk and you're going to die. Okay, so go ahead, watch Lawrence Welk at, at your own risk. Okay, but what? So we're at Halligan McCabe Funeral Home. And I'm in the line, receiving line, and my dad was fairly well known in the community, and there's a lot of people there, and many of them I hadn't seen in a long time. And I must have had a dozen people say to me, we were so surprised by your dad's death. Now, it's not the time to nitpick, but I wanted to go, really? You thought he was going to live forever? When he was born on June 13th, uh, 1924, you think his mom and dad and the community got around and said, here's the exception to the rule, he's going to make it forever? George Bernard Shaw said it this way, the statistics on death are impressive. One out of one people die. <laughs> so I want to be really clear here. What's unexpected and what's a surprise is not that Mary died or my dad died, but the timing of it. We know we're going to die, but Jesus rose again 
verse 24, and put an end to the agony of death. You don't have to wonder anymore, speculate anymore. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, I want to write to you about this resurrection, and, and, and he's going to give them some detail, but in verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. The character, the promise, the faithfulness, the sovereignty of God. We have hope, and this is so important. Okay? I almost sounded presidential. I almost said, this is huge. Okay? So I was on, you know, not the same as ask not what your country, but it's, we're getting there. It's not just for heaven, it's for now. I can have hope now. I have direction now. Well, look what happens. Chapter 2, verse 37, when the people hear this, they're pierced to the heart. And they say, what should we do? And that might be you here today. This may all be new to you. And you're going, what do I do? Well, here's the answer. Repent. Talk to somebody who brought you. Or somebody will be in the front here, uh, of the either here in the worship center or the venue or the chapel or cactus or wherever you are, somebody who will talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. And they responded and were told in chapter 2, verse 40, 41, that he continues, be saved, be delivered. It's the same message today. And that day, about 3,000 people we're saved. Hang with me because we're going to make a big point here. Chapter 4, verse 1, Peter, the one who you think, er, 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 who denied Christ in front of the servant girl and the slave, Peter is now in chapter 4, verse 1, in front of the Roman cohort and the the captain of the special uh, temple guard and the Sadducees and Peter and John are teaching and they're proclaiming. They had one message, resurrection, crucifixion. That's the simple message. And as they're preaching, verse four, about 5,000 people are saved. Now these Jewish leaders, far more powerful and intimidating than that group that arrested Jesus, that confronted Peter when he said, er, 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 I didn't know him. Peter stands up in front of him, chapter four, verse 12, and says, there's salvation in no one else. This is the only way. And, and I feel compelled to say this, given our culture, our, our, our culture that wants to be so accommodating, we need to understand that the Christian faith in terms of salvation is very narrow and very exclusive. And I didn't make it that way. Jamie didn't make it that way. Jesus made it that way. 
verse 13, these guys looked at Peter and John and they understood they're uneducated and untrained kind of people God takes. That's not a shot at education. I don't have one. I'm deficient for it. I was having lunch with Jamie one day and I said to Jamie, I'm not very smart. And I said that kind of hoping he'd say, oh, no, 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 you are. And he said, no, you're just not very educated. <laughs> All right. They recognized that they were uneducated, but they were amazed because they saw they'd been to, with Jesus. How, how do you change your story from to there's no one but Jesus? You be with him. You commune with him. You pray. You study. You read. Let me give you some so what's to this. And they're so what's not just for today, but they're so what's really for this whole series. First of all, be careful what you say. I'd never, I wouldn't, Count the cost. Make sure you understand. Make sure that your strength is rooted not in your own confidence and yourself, but in Jesus. Second, understand failure is inevitable, but it's not fatal. In your life, you're going to fail. The only way to fail is to not do anything, which in my mind is like the ultimate failure. You're going to fail. It's inevitable, but it's not fatal. Here's the big deal. I, and not only does God forgive you, but God will use you. Here's what I know from doing this for a long time. In a room with this many people in it, there's some of you that have messed up. You've sinned. You've blown it. And I'm talking about as Christians now. And you're going, well, I guess God can forgive me. Here, I want to go deeper than that. He can forgive you, but he'll still use you. Did you see that in Peter's life? God's not done. He'll use them. Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas are setting out on the first missionary journey. Chapter 13, verse 2. And they gathered together and they prayed over them and they're sending out Paul and Barnabas. Chapter 13, verse 5, they send with them a third, a helper. His name is John Mark. John Mark travels along. They go on this first missionary journey, and along the way, Mark blows out. Mark quits. We don't know why. A little while later, Barnabas and Peter are saying, we should go back and check on those churches. And Barnabas says, why don't we take John Mark with us? Now, just so you know, this is the Mark who ultimately writes a gospel, right? 
the Gospel of Luke. No, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. This is John Mark. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark. And Peter says, no. We're, we're told in verse uh, 39 of chapter 15 that a sharp disagreement broke out between the two. And Barnabas is saying, he blew it. But, but, and he's a mess. But, but God will make his mess a beautiful mess. And Paul's saying, listen, this is tough work. I don't have time to babysit Mark. Paul says no. And these two split over this. Barnabas heads out with Mark. Paul heads out with Silas. Well, the last written communication we have from the Apostle Paul is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and, and Paul is already acknowledging that he it's time for his departures come. He understands it's the end of his life. So he writes to Timothy and he says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. Why? He is useful for service. Now, I'm gonna take it. I've got two minutes and, and it's probably gonna go a smidgen longer than that because I want to make this point to all of you. God will use you. I uh, have spent the last three months and, and probably the next year or so reading about aging. And, and I'm doing this primarily as one who is uh, aging. And I'm writing all sorts of stuff. And I'm finding common themes. And I came across this book. And last night I read from it, didn't give the title. Let me give you the title. Living with Purpose in a Worn Out Body. That's the title of the book. Okay? Living with Purpose in a Worn Out Body. I want to just read from you. Every chapter is two pages. The book is 93 pages. It says on the back, easy to read print. That means the font is about 16. <laughs> so it anticipates old guys like us reading it. Listen to what the author writes. I confess there are days when pain suffocates my passion for living. There are dark nights when fear chokes out hope. Sometimes I wonder why you left me on this earth. I have outlived so many of my family and friends. Why do I linger? What purpose could I have now? Look at my hands. This verse gets me, because I've, 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 I've got where I now bump into something and I just spontaneously start to bruise and bleed. Look at my hands. Once strong and sure, they're unsteady and frail. I can't open a Gatorade. My mind, once quick and incisive, now falters under the weight of names and faces. What real purpose do I serve knitting away hours, surfing channels, dozing through the afternoon? Then your spirit stirs my heart and convicts me. You are not a wasteful God. The length of my days are a mystery to me. But one thing I know, 
And that's what we're going to traffic in, what we know, because what we know trumps what we feel. The length of my days are a mystery to me. But one thing I know for sure, you've created me with an eternal purpose. So the author asks these two questions. And I don't care how old you are, but maybe especially if you're older, you ask them, how can I be more like Christ today? Whose life can I touch with kindness? Lord, give me an extra measure of grace when I feel that I'm too old to be useful. Help me take my limitations in stride as I search for opportunities to serve you. My purpose has not withered away with another birthday. It's rooted in eternity. I I'm convinced that there's an army that the world's gonna wake up to, and I hope the church does. Every day, 10,000 people in this country celebrate their 65th birthday. By the year 2030, not that far away, 75 million people, 65 or older, who the world tends to push away and who have a lot of tread left on their tires. Maybe not as strong as I used to be. I used to teach seven times on Sunday. I can't do it anymore. I have two today, and Jamie has 14 fallback positions, assuming I'm not going to make it through it. Okay? And I understand that because there's been a day when I didn't. I may not be as strong, you not be as strong as you once were, but here's what I know, you're useful. If nothing else, and it's a big thing, if nothing else, you can pray. And to those of you that are a little younger, you ought to look around. You ought to go over to that chapel. I was over there. The only people with dark hair are dying it. <laughs> it's all gray hair. And they got so much to offer to you. Go get them. And to those of you that are here, maybe it's not age, maybe it's not sin, it's something else. And you're going, God can't use me. I'm telling you he can, especially when you go to the last point, do people see that you've been with Jesus? Because I should be able to see it. You're going to look different, talk different, act differently. Well, that's the bow on the series. God will turn your mess, our mess, into a beautiful mess. Next week, Brian Kruckenberg is here. I had lunch with Brian last week. You are going to love this young guy. He brings a ton of insight and expertise to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we're a mess. And we can say thank you that we're a mess because you turn our mess into a beautiful mess. God, thank you for the people that are here. We pray that you use us for your honor and glory, and we pray that in Jesus' name.